Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back once again to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host each week as we look at the political headlines that uh, may not be making broad general coverage in the news media, but are nevertheless important topics that need to have discussion wrapped around them. So this week, we're going to focus on the events uh, leading up to the indictment of the 45th president of the United States, former President Donald J. Trump. Um, And just to recap, this is the third indictment uh, against uh, the former president. The first one was back in March of this year. Uh, It was filed by uh, the Manhattan District Attorney. Uh, It was a state-level case in New York uh, related to a hush money payment to an adult film star in 2016. Um, According to information, prosecutors allege Trump was part of an illegal conspiracy to undermine the integrity of the 2016 election. Further, they allege he was part of an unlawful plot to suppress negative information, including the $130,000 payment uh, that was made to the uh, aforementioned uh, adult film star. And, uh, of course, Trump pleaded not guilty to that charge. Uh, The second charge uh, happened in June of uh, this year, uh, where he was indicted by a federal grand jury in Miami for taking classified national defense documents from the White House after after he left office Uh, and resisting the government's attempt to retrieve the materials. Uh, Both Trump and his aide and body man, Walt Nada, uh, have pleaded not guilty to those charges. And the latest one, the three for three in the trifecta of charges against President Trump, uh, happened uh, just about a week ago, uh, and this was, a uh, again, a federal indictment that was handed down uh, in relation to uh, alleged efforts by the former president and his allies to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, The indictment alleges Trump and a co-conspirator attempted to, quote, exploit the violence and chaos at the Capitol by calling lawmakers to convince them to delay the certification of the election. It also alleges another co-conspirator pushed then-Vice President Mike Pence to violate the law to delay President Joe Biden's victory. The Trump campaign released a statement shortly after the indictment denying the allegations, and Trump pleaded uh, not guilty on all four counts of this indictment. All told and and counted all up, uh, the former president faces a total of some 70-plus charges uh, at the federal Uh, and and state level for uh, alleged crimes that he committed uh, in order to uh, win the presidency in 2016 and to remain in power as president in 2020 by overturning the the election of Joe Biden to the White House. So, you know, we have seen that uh, in, in going through these indictments, and I've, I've read all three of them, um, and, you know, in, in reading them, you know, 
I, as you know, a a law-abiding citizen, uh, you know, who you know at least purports to know the difference between right and wrong, uh, and and I mean, I should say I, I do know the difference between right and wrong. Um, let, let's not put any doubt on that. But you know, the the object is like you know probably the overwhelming majority of the American people. Uh, the idea of committing the type of offenses that have been committed uh, by the former president and his allies, co-conspirators, aides, and other helpers uh, to you know, basically uh, ensure his, his obta- obtaining and retaining uh, power in this country uh, is something that you, know, you and I as normal citizens would never even consider. So we're going to take a look at you know, how we got here, uh, what being here involves, and uh, where are we going to be going from here. What's going to happen as we move down the road, not just to the, uh, the actual trials uh, that will happen. Uh, and, and by the way, there's still one more shoe to drop in Fulton County as uh, Fulton County DA Fonnie uh, Willis is uh, announcing that she has indictments coming for uh, the former president sometime within uh, the month of August. Uh, and everyone is speculating as to just when that might be. Uh, it could be as early as, you know, two weeks or it could be toward the end of the month. Right now, we just don't have a firm date, but we expect that uh, that indictment will also come down the pike. And we're going to talk about, you know, the federal versus the state indictments and and some of the differences and so forth. So let's look at the first uh, uh, charged indictment. And again, this one is uh, a state uh, charge. It was brought by the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. And uh, it alleges, as I said, uh, based around a hush money payment made to an adult film star and uh, interference and undermining the uh, integrity of the 2016 election uh, via an illegal conspiracy. And it ended up with a total of 34 counts uh, of falsifying business records in the first degree. Now, you know, the... The arguments have been made by uh, Trump supporters and his defense attorneys that these charges are uh, weak and you know uh, easily uh, can be dismissed. Uh, remains to be seen if that's going to happen. Uh, but this was the first case that uh, was brought against uh, the former president, and as I said, that was back in March of this year. Uh, the second case that was brought in June uh, was a little bit, or I'm sorry, significantly more uh, involved and, and more uh, uh, threatening uh, to the security and integrity of our country. And this was the classified documents. In a nutshell, uh, when he left the uh, presidency in uh, January of 2021, uh, he uh, he, being Donald Trump, uh, brought in a huge amount of boxes of documents and papers and mementos and, and other things uh, to his uh, residence at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, 
and uh, when it was determined by the government via the uh, National Archive and, and Records Administration, or NARA, that among those documents were government uh, documents that had various levels of classified designation, uh, up to and including top secret, uh, and you know they covered a wide range of, of topics, including military plans, uh, assessments of United States defensive strength and the defense and offense strength of other nations around the world and, and so forth. Uh, so the charges included 22 counts of willful retention of uh, national defense information, uh, one count of false statements and representations by Donald Trump, uh, one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice, uh, and that was uh, Donald Trump, Walt Nauda, and Carlos de Oliveira. Uh, and uh, withholding a document or record, one count. Corruptly concealing a document or record, uh, again, Donald Trump and Walt Nauda. Uh, conceal, I'm sorry, yeah, concealing a document in a federal investigation, uh, again, Donald Trump and Walt Nauda. Uh, a scheme to conceal. Uh, Donald Trump, Walt Nauta, one count. False statements and representations, Walt Nauta, one count. False statements and representations, Carlos de Oliveira, uh, one count. Altering, destroying, mutilating, or concealing an object, uh, all three, Donald Trump, Walt Nauta, and Carlos de Oliveira, one count. Corruptly altering, destroying, mutilating, or concealing a document, record, or other object, and again, all three of the defendants uh, were charged under that count. So a total of, so it was 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. Yeah, 31 counts in that indictment, plus the one from the uh, hush money brings us up to, I'm sorry, the 34 in uh, the hush money case brings us up to 65. And then we have the election interference, which includes four counts, uh, one count each, uh, all against Donald Trump, conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, uh, obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Uh, so those four additional charges bring the grand total up, if I do my math right, to uh, 69 overall counts uh, in the three indictments. So there we have, you know, and, and again, unless you've been hiding under a rock somewhere at the bottom of the ocean, uh, you have to have heard about these indictments. They have been all over uh, the news uh, and, and above the fold in you know just about every newspaper around the country uh, since the you know since the first count dropped uh, in early this year um, and you know it, it's it's painted a picture of a, an individual in the person of the former president uh, as well as those around him you know for example in the the latest uh, indictment uh, there are six unindicted co-conspirators. We'll talk a little bit about those in a second. 
uh, and you know he had you know assistance in the second indictment from <clears throat> two people that worked for him down at his Mar-a-Lago uh, residence and resort, uh, and uh, additional uh, people in the first indictment in the in the bodies of his attorneys that helped facilitate the payment and other uh, mechanisms by which uh, the alleged crimes occurred. Uh, before I go forward, let me just uh, backtrack and correct my math error on the number of counts uh, that have been brought forward against the former president and, and others in the three indictments. In the first indictment, which was the hush money payment, uh, there were a total of 34 counts brought in that indictment from Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. In the second uh, federal indictment by uh, Jack Smith, there were a total of 42 indictments, I'm sorry, charges that were brought uh, against uh, Mr. Trump and uh, others that aided him. And in the third indict indictment, there was a total of four charges brought for a grand total of 80 uh, charges overall against the former president. And that's uh, a, a huge amount of charges uh, to be brought against an individual uh, in any circumstance. But you know, revolving around the actions of the last two national elections, uh, you can get a sense of just how very important uh, these cases are and you know, why we will be watching very carefully to see how they progress and, and what exactly happens. And let's not forget, there's one more uh, major indictment expected uh, sometime uh, during the month of August. Uh, it could be as early as the middle of this month or it could be more toward the end, but that will come out of Fulton County, Georgia from District Attorney Fannie Willis, and that's uh, largely involving the election interference uh, alleged to have been conducted uh, by the former president in the state of Georgia uh, in an effort to overturn that state's election uh, and, and uh, create perhaps the first domino to fall uh, in, in more states overturning elections that would have led to uh, you know, the, the non-election, for lack of a better word, for uh, Joe Biden as president and would have handed the election uh, over to Donald Trump. So, you know, we wait to see uh, and hear what the Fulton County DA uh, brings forward. Uh, but e even so, uh, facing, you know, 80 uh, felony charges uh, that have been brought against uh, the former president, um, you know, it is a, a monumental uh, you know, accusation, a monumental statement about the kind of activities and pretty much the kind of attitude that uh, this former president had for the rule of law and for uh, accountability uh, of actions. Uh, I, I think, you know, you can argue uh, all you want that, you know, as his followers do, that, you know, these are witch hunts and, you know, it, it's all, you know, uh, political and it's the deep state and, and whatever, whatever arguments, uh, you know, they want to make. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, with 80 various felony counts, uh, the, the real deal is 
that if you know even just one of these uh, is is proven and you know the former president and or others uh, you know charged with him are found guilty of it uh, there's substantial and, and significant jail time involved uh, some of the charges in just the last uh, latest indictment um, one of them has a five-year uh, maximum sentence the other three are 20-year maximum sentences uh, and you know similar sentences are um, are uh, could be assessed in the other two indictments so uh, as I said it doesn't take 80 of them uh, being a you know resulting in conviction uh, it really only takes one to uh, present the possibility of Donald Trump uh, serving time behind bars now having said that understand that of course we know that any guilty verdicts are going to be appealed and reappealed and and marched all the way up through the court process uh, to the Supreme Court and in in the uh, unlikely but not out of the realm of possibility that uh, Donald Trump is returned to the White House as president in November 2024. Uh, he could, of course, have the Department of Justice wipe out all of those federal charges, just, you know, basically shred them, throw them in a trash can, uh, never to be heard from again. And, you know, that would eliminate, you know, the potential he has for facing jail time on those federal charges. Now, something to keep in mind is that won't work with the charges coming out of Fulton County, Georgia, because those are state charges. And the federal government has absolutely no jurisdiction in um, controlling whether or not cases can be uh, eliminated at the state level. Now, they can be by the governor of the state as directed by you know, state legislature and so forth. But, you know, would that happen? Well, you'd have to go to Vegas and check with the odds makers on that. I, I don't know. Time will tell, and we will have to wait and see what the outcomes of these are. But it's highly likely that uh, it will be, uh, you know, more than a year, probably, you know, two years or more before we end up with a final resolution to all of these matters once uh, appeals have been exhausted and it, you know, it's gone up to the Supreme Court and so on and so forth. Uh, but as I said, there is a very real possibility that you know, former president could be convicted and found guilty of at least one of those 80 charges and end up racking up some, some jail time. Uh, maybe there'll be more. We don't know. Uh, there's always the, uh, the possibility the Supreme Court may not weigh in. Uh, or, you know, that appeals courts, uh, appeals will be denied. Uh, we shall see how this plays out. Uh, but the bottom line is it is going to be politically crazy in this country until we get a resolution uh, of this matter. Uh, we will likely you know, never hear the end of it to the longest day that Donald Trump, uh, you know, breathes air on this planet. Uh, win, lose or draw, he is going to be talking about this. And he's going to be, you know, shoving this in our faces uh, over the course of, again, however much longer time he has on the planet. 
So with that, let's, um, let's turn for a second. I want to keep in the indictments and I want to kind of go through the, the six people in this uh, latest indictment who were involved with him. As you said, there were six unindicted co-conspirators and at first they were unnamed in the uh, indicting document. However, based on the descriptions that were given, uh, it's been pretty universally figured out who at least five of them are. So uh, unindicted co-conspirator one has been you know, pretty much unanimously described as being Rudy Giuliani, you know, the former Trump lawyer and, you know, uh, host of the let's have a press conference in front of uh, a landscape house um, co-conspirator number two has also been uh, pretty roundly identified as John Eastman uh, another former Trump lawyer and also uh, the the uh, proclaimed author of the fake elector and delay the the uh, electoral vote scheme uh, co-conspirator three, again, has been kind of uh, voted in to be co-conspirator number three, Sidney Powell, yet another former Trump lawyer, uh, you know, the, the self-proclaimed Kraken, uh, more like crackpot, uh, crazy lady. Um, co-conspirator number four uh, has been uh, identified as Jeffrey Clark who was a former Justice Department official. Uh, the, uh, the upshot here was that uh, he was considered by Trump in the last days of his presidency to take over the Department of Justice uh, and for a very brief spell in the term of some hours, uh, he actually did accept the position. Uh, however, it was withdrawn when uh, the president or former president was informed that should Mr. Clark take over, um, you know, 99 percent of his uh, uh, federal state's attorneys across the nation would resign en masse and cripple the Department of Justice. Um, Co-conspirator five is I has been identified as Kenneth Chesborough or Cheeseborough. Uh, he is a pro-Trump lawyer. Uh, the indictment references an email memorandum that he sent to uh, Rudy Giuliani on December 13th about the fake electors plot. Uh, so it, it's, it matches an email that he sent to Giuliani, a copy of which uh, was made public during the, uh, the House Select Committee that investigated the January 6th insurrection. Uh, Co-conspirator number six uh, hasn't been positively identified. Uh, he's listed as, uh, according to the indictment, says that uh, this person is a political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. Uh, the indictment also further ties this person to the fake elector slate in Pennsylvania. So while we don't have an identity um, for number six, uh, the other five uh, have been identified and or at least their identities have been figured out.
We will, of course, keep an eye out to see who the sixth uh, unindicted co-conspirator turns out to be, and we'll bring that to you as soon as we find out. Okay. Um, this brings up some questions that I have, uh, some of which are related to Donald Trump, some of which are not. So here's question number one. If Donald Trump is convicted, uh, again, making assumptions that there will be a lengthy and repeated appeals process and it will uh, make its way up to the Supreme Court where it's anybody's guess as to whether or not uh, the, the Supreme Court will stick to its conservative base uh, or majority or whether they will, as they've done in several other cases, uh, adjudicate based on the, the letter of the law and uh, you know, deny the appeals, uh, thus uh, mandating that the former president would likely have to uh, face uh, uh, incarceration. We'll see how that turns out. Um, another question that, as I said, isn't related specifically to uh, the former president, but it's one that I have been trying to find information on um, uh, for quite a while, and that is simply this. Uh, shortly after Donald Trump left office, uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was given $2 billion by the Saudi Arabian uh, government. Uh, whatever happened to that money? What's been done with it or what's being done with it? Uh, and, you know, given in, in light of all of the political and media heat being, uh, being uh, poured onto uh, Hunter Biden, why is there no equivalent heat being poured onto Jared and Ivanka Trump for the, you know, millions and millions and in Jared's case, billions of dollars uh, they parlayed off of their relationship to the, the president and former president of the United States. Uh, why are they uh, apparently so untouchable? Uh, that's a question I'd love to uh, get answers to. I, as I said, I am looking. I will keep digging. Uh, maybe there's something out there. If you have uh, any information on that, if you've seen a news source or a report from someone in uh, the media, uh, send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, tell me what you found out uh, so I can dig into it and uh, we'll turn it around into a discussion here on the show. Uh, it, it is something I think um, the Republicans would just as soon sweep under the proverbial rug uh, rather than uh, bring out into the light of day for all the obvious reasons. So. Uh, we will uh, keep an eye out for that, and uh, we will also let you know uh, what becomes of the fourth indictment uh, that comes down from Fulton County. Uh, as soon as we hear anything, uh, we will, of course, uh, bring it to the show and open it up for discussion. Again, comments or questions, send them to the show here at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you out there as to what you think about all of this, uh, whether you are, you know, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, uh, whether you are a MAGA or anti-MAGA, uh, I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what 
you think of all of this uh, media hype and media attention being given to uh, Trump and his uh, his circles and, you know, Biden and his circles and, and all of that. So send an email. The address again is fired up radio at yahoo.com. All right. Let's take our break here. And when we come back on the other side, uh, I've got a couple more stories that I want to dive into and uh, we'll go from there. You're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve and we will be right back. I was going to get my vote ID card because they said you had to have it in order to be able to vote. When I got there, I approached the gentleman at the counter and told him what I wanted. I showed him my veterans card. He said that was no good. He said you had to have a state-issued ID card in order to be able to vote. Seniors, women, people of color, young adults, those with low incomes, people with disabilities. Every citizen needs to review your documentation now to make sure you can vote in November. Please check with your local county election board to make sure the name on your photo ID closely matches the name you used when you registered to vote. Please contact us at 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-687-8683. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. Uh, before we get into the last two stories I want to cover, there are a couple of loose ends that I neglected to tie up in the first segment that I want to address here. Um, in the indictment that uh, just happened, the latest one, uh, Trump was given uh, something of an ad- unusual admonishment by the magistrate judge uh, overseeing the presidings uh, who told him essentially uh, that he was uh, barred from any attempt to influence any potential jurors or tamper with witnesses. Uh, According to the judge, uh, quote, it is a crime to try and influence a juror or to threaten or attempt to block to bribe a witness or any other persons who may have information about your case or to retaliate against anyone for providing information about your case to the prosecution or to otherwise obstruct the administration of justice and this was administered by administered by US magistrate judge Moxilla Upadaya uh, and uh, uh, further warned that if he failed to comply with any of the conditions of his release, uh, a warrant might be issued for his arrest. So, you know, if it's it's put in front of Trump that essentially he's got to keep his big mouth shut uh, with regard to talking about the witnesses or, or anything like that, or his bond will be revoked and he'll be remanded to custody. So uh, it remains to be seen if anyone knows of a pool uh, that's being run on whether or not he uh, complies with that. Let me know. I've, I've got a few bucks I want to drop in that. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, there was that. Um, and, you know, again, the idea is that uh, they're trying to uh, treat this case uh, as by the book as possible. Uh, it remains to be seen if uh, Trump's going to let that uh, stand. Uh, and related to that, 
In another story that came out on August 6th uh, on the Mediaite uh, website, and uh, the headline, Trump goes after Judge Tanya Chutkin in an all-caps ca- all truth social rage post, uh, quote, no way can I get a fair trial with her. So, you know, the article uh, talks about how uh, he's already going after the presiding judge in his latest criminal case, uh, arguing, according to the article, that there is, quote, no way, close quote, that he can get a fair trial with her on the bench. Uh, The article continues, in an all-caps post on Truth Social Sunday morning, the former president seethed about an assignment of Judge Tanya Chutkin to his case and said he plans to ask for her recusal as well as a change of venue from Washington, D.C. Side note, uh, that venue change has already been uh, uh, brought up. Uh, Trump and his attorneys would like to see the trial move from, uh, you know, largely Democratic Washington, D.C. to largely Republican uh, West Virginia. Uh, West, yeah, West Virginia. So, you know, he's saying in the article, and again, it's in all caps, so he's shouting this. Uh, there is no way I can get a fair trial with the judge assigned to the ridiculous freedom of speech fair elections case, Trump said. Everybody knows this, and so does she. We will be immediately asking for recusal of this judge on very powerful grounds and likewise for venue change out of D.C. Um, you know, so just by way of background, Judge Chutkin was appointed by President Barack Obama, and she has uh, handed down uh, the harshest se- sentences of all judges who have presided over January 6th related cases. She also previously issued a key decision against Trump when in November 2021, she ruled the House Select Committee could access Trump's White House files in their investigation of January 6th. Uh, So, you know, the the other thing, and again, another example of how Donald Trump is his own worst enemy is that the DOJ has already sought a protective order from Judge Chutkin after a Trump social media post stating, among other things, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Now, you could uh, see that as something of a threat. So, you know, it, it's, it's clear this is going to be a contentious process. Uh, you know, pop some popcorn, uh, get a comfortable seat, and uh, we'll see how this all proceeds forward. Uh, the first hearing in the case is already set for August 28th, and that will be uh, with Judge Chutkin provide, uh, presiding. rather. And at that point, they will set a schedule for subsequent hearings and the trial date and so forth. So uh, we will see how this all plays out. But it, it's clear that um, you know, this, this judge is not taking any crap from the, from the Trump team. Uh, with regard to this, um, this latest statement, uh, said, quote, if the defendant were to begin using public posts, using details, or, for example, grand jury transcripts obtained in discovery here, it could have a harmful chilling effect on witnesses or adversely affect the fair administration of justice uh, said in this case. And that, that came from the prosecutors 
in, in their motion. Judge Chetkin has ordered the Trump team to file a response by, by uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, so that response should already have been filed by the time this show airs. Uh, in addition to criticizing the judge, Trump on Sunday morning also renewed his attacks on special counsel Jack Smith. Again, all in caps because it seems that's the only way he knows how to type stuff. Uh, and it goes, quote, deranged Jack Smith and our highly partisan and very corrupt Department of Injustice could have brought this Biden opponent case years ago but chose to wait and bring it right in the middle of my election campaign, Trump wrote. No way. I hope you are watching, America. Our country is being destroyed. Make America great again. So we, we see a tone being set here, people, and you know, it, it's going to be all caps all the time. Uh, so if you are subscribed to Truth Social, uh, you know, you're going to get those messages uh, officially uh, and just for clarity of record I am not a subscriber to Truth Social uh, so you know you guys uh, are getting more out of that than I am alright uh, let's move on to another story that I wanted to talk about uh, I'm going to spend some time on uh, and this one just came literally uh, to me while I was uh, in between segments while I was you know, taking a break and making myself a cup of coffee. Uh, it comes from Business Insider. Uh, it's dated today. And uh, basically, uh, the headline reads, uh, Lawyers successfully argued that a Jim Crow-era law banning felons from voting is cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, and this one comes out of Mississippi. Uh, where uh, lawyers in Mississippi successfully argued against a lifetime voting ban for felons. Uh, the lawyers relied on the Eighth Amendment to make their case, and they took a different approach than previous challenges to the same law. So, just uh, by way of background, in case you don't know, uh, in uh, many states in, in this country, uh, when you are convicted of a crime and sentenced to uh, prison, uh, you lose your uh, citizen rights uh, voting and among them. Uh, now, some states have provisions that when you have completed your sentence, uh, you have basically paid your debt to society, your right to vote is restored to you. Now, if you've listened to this show, you know this is something that we have discussed uh, on a couple of occasions in uh, a few other states where, uh, Florida, for example, where um, the, the effort has been put forward to make the recent rescission of your right to vote uh, if you are a felon uh, to make that permanent. Uh, so uh, this Mississippi case uh, may serve as yet another uh, precedent-setting case uh, in the battle to uh, overturn that process. So the, the backstory here is uh, in 1890, uh, lawmakers in Mississippi drafted a new state constitution designed to strip black Americans of their voting rights by implementing a poll tax and literary tests. These Jim Crow era laws included a lifetime voting ban on any Mississippi resident convicted of certain felonies. And just so you know, 
that lifetime ban is still in effect uh, in the state today. Uh, and it's, it's been over 130 years uh, since that uh, Jim Crow era law was enacted. Um, now, uh, a Mississippi legal team is seeking to repeal the law, and they secured a win in a federal appeals court last week after arguing the provision constitutes cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. Uh, the victory came in the Fifth Circuit, which, by the way, is one of the country's most conservative, uh, and this is according to information from the Washington Post. Uh, while these laws were constantly challenged, it wasn't until 1964 that the discriminatory laws were uh, overruled or outruled by Congress. Jim Crow laws uh, restricted interracial marriage, voting rights, and the integration of blacks and whites in institutions and facilities. Throughout the 18th and 19th centuries, segregation laws, also known as Jim Crow laws, were uh, instated uh, throughout most of the parts of the American South to separate white and black Americans after the abolishment of slavery. From separate housing and education to restrictions on transportation and restaurants and even the prohibition of interracial marriages, segregation laws were proposed under the guise of, quote, separate but equal. Instead, these regulations allowed continued racism and discrimination toward black Americans and forced restrictions to keep them from being allowed to succeed or thrive. Now, let's put a pin right in that statement there uh, and pivot slightly to some current news coming out of Florida um, about uh, the, the uh, changes to their uh, education laws and, and so forth uh, that were aimed at uh, elim eliminating information and among other things included the statement that in some regards uh, enslaved Africans actually benefited from slavery in that they acquired skills uh, and, and uh, training that they could use to uh, better themselves. So put into the mix that, you know, immediately after slavery, and as the article states, uh, before the, the institution of Jim Crow laws, there were things called, quote, black codes, which were introduced throughout the South starting around 1865. Remember, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1865. These laws dictated where black people could work and live, as well as ensured their availability for cheap labor. Many black people were forced to sign annual labor contracts and risked being arrested, fined, and forced into unpaid work if they refused to sign. Let that sink in for a second. So Governor DeSantis and the Florida board is saying that you know, slavery gave all of these uh, enslaved uh, Africans and indentured servants as well, I should say, uh, skill sets and you know talents and abilities that they could use to benefit themselves moving forward. Yet, once slavery was ended, there were these black codes put in place, and then following them, the Jim Crow laws were put in place uh, to basically uh, block any of that so-called uh, uh, education or training 
uh, implementation from happening. Uh, you were restricted as to where you could live. You were restricted as to where you could work, who you could marry, uh, what facilities uh, you could access. And by facilities, I mean things like water fountains, restaurants, uh, theaters, you know, just about anything. Um, you know, and a as a result, uh, essentially wiped out whatever benefit, you know, is, is being presumed to have come from slavery. So, you know, as much as, you know, there, there is a lot of arguments today about the fallacy of that statement that, uh, you know, enslaved people benefited from, you know, slavery. Uh, here is the, the real story as to what happened in the area around them when slavery ended. So essentially, slavery ended, but the treatment of people like slaves uh, didn't miss a beat okay and you know what happened is you know black Americans who challenged any of the unfair laws placed upon them often faced in extreme consequences uh, these could include jail time beatings and lynchings much the same kind of punishments that uh, enslaved people would be subject to for you know violations of uh, rules and, and etiquettes and protocols uh, while slavery was in effect. Um, black Americans who've challenged uh, these laws, as I said, were subject to extreme consequences. Uh, legal challenges to the law in, in the past have argued it violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Uh, however, uh, these arguments, according to the Washington Post, have not yet been effective and the Supreme Court even denied to take up one of these challenges uh, just this past June. So while the law is still in effect, uh, if this latest ruling utilizing uh, this element of the Eighth Amendment uh, is successful and it sticks, it could restore voting rights to some 30,000 people in the state, uh, again, according to the Washington Post. Uh, Lynn Fitch, the state's attorney general, told the Post she plans to seek further review of the case. Uh, her options include seeking what's called an en banc review, which allows a larger pool of the Fifth Circuit judges to review the case. Uh, what happens when uh, a, a case is reviewed typically by a, uh, a three-panel uh, board of the, the circuit court judges, uh, that ruling is quote, weaker than if a similar rooting, ruling is granted uh, by the entire Fifth Circuit. Uh, I believe there are, are either nine or 11 judges uh, on a circuit court. So if, if she's getting a uh, larger pool of the judges to, uh, to vote in the affirmative for this, that uh, will strengthen uh, the resiliency of this law and help to protect it against uh, being overridden or <clears throat> rescinded. So, you know, and, and it's not just Mississippi that we're talking about here. There are 11 states that have similar voting laws for people convicted of a felony, and each of them strip voting rights uh, until they have completed their sentences, according to the National Conference of State Legislatures. Uh, additional requirements in these states could include include indefinite bans for some crimes or additional waiting periods after someone completes their sentence. 
So progress uh, comes slowly, but it is being made. Uh, we will keep an eye on, on this Mississippi case and see if it catches fire in, in any other states uh, where it, it is an issue. Uh, again, uh, comments or questions, uh, send them to firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, and let's move on. And I want to uh, conclude the show with some clo- uh, calls to action uh, based on what we talked about today and, and some other things. So uh, working our way backwards uh, with regard to this last piece I just gave you, uh, if you can uh, send communication to uh, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch and uh, let her know that you support uh, her actions and and what she's doing in in terms of getting this uh, further reviewed and expanding the application of this Eighth Amendment uh, approach to restoration of voting rights to, uh, you know, felons who have completed their sentences and served their time. Uh, With regard to uh, what's going on in uh, Trump world, uh, one of the things I think you can do and you should do is uh, get a copy of the indictments and read them. Now, I realize that even though the latest one is 45 pages, double space, so it would take you about eh, 45 minutes to an hour to read through. Uh, The others are a little bit more beefy uh, and might take a little longer, but the key is read the the chargeable offenses, uh, read the counts of the indictment, uh, read uh, as much as you need of the description of events that led to the charges so that you have an understanding of what's behind it. Why is that important? Well, there are a lot of people out there who are uh, standing shoulder deep in the river of denial saying, you know, like so many other things, that, you know, these charges are made up, that they're fictitious, that, you know, it's uh, all a political uh, hack job, a political witch hunt, and that, you know, it it just, all of the arguments we hear uh, as to why something is not believed. So if you've read uh, what the indictments are, Uh, Do your homework, do your diligence, like we always say on this show, dig wider, dig deeper, uh, get information from multiple sources, uh, compare it all, and see what is constant, because that's likely where the truth is. Uh, But don't just accept uh, what you hear coming out of social media, uh, what you hear coming out of right wing or left wing Uh, or progressive uh, media sources. Uh, Go around the circle. Hear from everybody. Hear from samples of every source. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I uh, was on TikTok uh, for much of the last couple of days post the indictment, and the amount of misinformation uh, and, you know, uh, frank out, straight out, falsehoods that are being presented by, uh, you know, so-called influencers on social media is astounding. Uh, People are out there just saying, you know, whatever they want uh, about any subject. Um, I I happen to to sit 
on because you can only take so much politics in one seating. Uh, I was actually listening to a discourse on uh, flat earth theory uh, on TikTok. And it, it, all I could do was, was laugh at these people at what they believe uh, with no scientific or factual basis behind it. Uh, many of the arguments they stated, I could disprove in two minutes. Uh, so, tr you know, trust a wide array of sources is what I'm saying. Uh, you have to do your homework. Uh, you know, it, it is okay to disagree with what Jack Smith is doing or, you know, disagree with policies of, you know, President Biden or, you know, what kind of treatment you think Hunter Biden's getting and, and so on and so forth. That's fine. That's what a good, healthy, robust discussion of the issues is all about. But if all you're doing is getting all of your information from a single narrow source, you're missing so much of the broader picture that could uh, perhaps help change you know, your thinking or at least modify it so that it is based in fact. And that, I think, is the bottom line. We should always make sure that you know, our opinions and the things that we believe in are held up and supported and, and buttressed by the facts. Uh, not just rumor, not just innuendo, not just made up stuff coming out of, you know, wherever. Uh, so like always, like we always say here on this show, dig wider, dig deeper, uh, rely on multiple sources, uh, not necessarily ones that uh, are, are in your normal wheelhouse. So if you're a liberal, absolutely. Listen to the conservative sites. Listen to the conservative uh, you know, people that are talking online or in the media. Uh, read the conservative papers. If you're a progressive, read both liberal and conservative papers. Uh, find out where they stand with your positions. Balance it all in and become a well-rounded, well-informed uh, individual. My last piece of advice, and I'm going to be a broken record on this, go out. Go to Ballotpedia.org, Vote.org, uh, or any one uh, of you know a half a dozen or more uh, internet sites that can help you check the status of your voter registration. Regardless of what party you're in, you need to make sure that your voter registration is current, that it is up to date, that it is bulletproof, and that you will be able to go vote. Do this monthly. Put it on your calendar, you know, pick a day, say, oh, it's the 21st time to check my voter status and keep up with it. Uh, the states, especially red states, are purging people wildly. And even if you are not a, uh, a Democrat or not a non-red voter, they may purge you in the rush to, to, to thin the herd. So make sure that your voter status is up to date and current. Uh, do it monthly between now and the November election and beyond because there's more than just the national elections that happen. Don't forget your state elections, your local elections. Stay engaged, stay involved, communicate with your representatives up and down 
the ticket from local to federal. Make sure that you know who your representatives are and how to get in touch with them. All right. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Thank you all, as always, for listening. I greatly appreciate it. I I can't stress that enough. It means the world to know that, you know, there are people out there that are listening and that are hopefully getting some positive uh, content out of what I'm presenting. So, again, if you want to communicate with the show, send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. Check us out on on Facebook at facebook.com slash firedupradio. Uh, future uh, social links uh, to be coming and we will announce them and we're still working on changing some of the the formatting of this show Uh, just to spoiler alert we're trying to work out the details of going video as well so keep on the lookout for that we'll keep you informed Uh, otherwise have a safe and productive week Uh, This is Steve. You're listening to Fire It Up right here on WJMS Media. And I look forward to doing this all again with you in seven days.